0: A century old church in West Texas finds new life and a new name. This is episode 136 of Church and Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast as the intersection of faith and modern life. My name is Dennis Sanders, and I am your host. This is episode 136, and I've been looking forward to this one. Um, if you listened to the previous episode, you know that um, I had recorded two episodes, and looks like they, they had been eaten. Um, by um, the service that I use to record my videos. Um, and so I have to actually say they did their work. I pretty much assumed that those um, those interviews, the audio was gone forever and that I wasn't going to get them. And um, they were able to find them. It They were um, not the polished... Um, audio and there were some issues with it, but, um, I was able to kind of spiff it up the best I could, um, and also save me from having to actually redo these interviews. Um, so, uh, those two episodes are now, um, here and you're listening to going to be listening to one today. So I do wanna I, I am thankful for the service um that was that they spent their time and trying to find it. And um it was a little bit of extra work. I don't know if we're gonna have a video version of this just because um, the video doesn't have sound and it's it it's a lot of work. Um so we may just have just the audio um for this one. But um the guest for Today is Don Darwin Weeks. Um, she is a pastor in um, my denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and I've been interested in, in talking to her for quite some time. Um, she, along with her husband, are co-pastors of Connection Christian Church in Odessa, Texas. Odessa is in West Texas; it's in the oil patch, and. Um, about six or seven years ago, she and her husband were called to this church when it wasn't called Connection. It was called then First Christian Church. And, um, she kind of talks in today's, inter- in today's episode about the journey that that church went through. Um, and it is a familiar journey to something that I've experienced. Um, one where they sold their building. Um, and basically relaunched themselves and also um, renamed themselves. And so uh, this episode is going to be kind of talking about that journey, and I think it'll be fascinating. Um, There are lots of churches, especially at Mainline Protestantism, that are facing this, especially um, in the wake of COVID, where people weren't meeting for a year, year and a half, and have, um, in some cases, lost more members because of that. Um, I think that uh, Dawn's story shows a way that it's possible for churches to be renewed. Um, so, uh, And she has a new book out, and in that book, she basically chronicles the journey of um, of her church, going from its old name to its new name from, um, the people who were involved. And I think one of the things that, um, really fascinated me about her story is how much the laity, uh, had a role in this. Um, kind of too often when we hear these stories, they're almost, um, and the people who, who hear these stories sometimes are just pastors, but, um, And if you are a pastor that is listening to this, um, make sure you get maybe the head of your board, um, the head of your property committee to listen to this story. Because I think this is a story really not about a pastor as much as it is about a church, Um, the people who make up that congregation that were willing to try something new and to try to adapt, um, especially in a very changing world. Um, this is a timely story for, especially for mainline Protestant congregations. So, I hope that you will uh, take the time to listen. Uh, Said Don has been a pastor in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and um, along uh, she, along with her husband, are pastors at Connection Christian Church. So, let's hear her story and the story of Connection Christian Church in Odessa, Texas. Well, Don, thank you for taking the time to chat. I've been really looking forward to to talking to you.
1: Same here. Thanks for the opportunity to be on this podcast and for all your ministry bringing some hope to us progressive mainliners.
0: Thank you. So, I want to kind of start. One of the things I want to do is kind of share share um, my own background, and then and then kind of talk a little bit how it may relate, and tell and then to tell your story. So, so. Um, first church of St. Paul, where all where I serve, is about 140 years old. Um, so it started in the 1880s. Um, it was situated near downtown St. Paul. It um, was like a lot of mainline congregations grew, uh, um, especially in the early, um, in the front half of the 20th century. Uh, um, towards the in the late 90s, they moved to a, a suburb uh kind of uh kind of and that that wasn't probably smooth um because they lost about their people and then when i came on the scene they scene they were kind of a very small group group, and kind of trying to figure out to do um and we can talk a little bit more but we but we got to a point where we finally decided to sell our current building because we just could not sustain it anymore. Um, to move to a, a suburb that's closer into the cities, and and is an the Lutheran congregation. Um, so I kind of do all of that because that is a, a story that you that you've probably heard a lot and, and occurs a lot in mainline churches. But it is also but it is also a story. Sounds at least from what I've heard, what I've heard very similar tradition that you and your you and your husband are pastoring in. Um, um, Having that opening, kind of, share, kind of sharing a little bit about the story of your church in, in Texas.
1: A lot of churches are in this position now, as you know, Dennis, where the building that they are in is actually, instead of facilitating ministry, is actually uh, – a an albatross around the neck, um, whether it's the maintenance costs or simply the fact that it's not accessible or there's no parking. Uh, and I, I just have, since this book's come out, I've talked to so many churches who are struggling to figure out what to do with a building that d- does not serve them in the first place and i was just visiting with the church yesterday and they were talking about the millions they're putting into their building and I, and you know them not having uh much in the way of of uh, attendance momentum right now and it just reminded me of the early church you know who met in people's houses and i think they had something going on there uh and so our church's story was uh we were a 110 year old downtown church It was not a situation where, you know, there was a white flight or, you know, um, downtown was only poor. No one lived in the area around our church. Um, You know, there was no residential area there anymore at all. Uh, And downtown was, you know, talk about revitalization was happening in the city, but nothing was going to happen substantially in that area for 10 to 20 years. And we might not be around uh, in 10 to 20 years. We were down to about 45 in worship. We had a sanctuary that seated 400. Uh, The location had never been super great, but especially now uh, was not. We did an assessment on the building. It was going to cost about $2 million to make it accessible and uh, make a good front uh, door Welcoming space to be clear where to even enter the facility. A lot of our churches don't have a good front door. Um, so it was uh, pretty clear, just from a logical standpoint, that if we could be somewhere else, we should be somewhere else. But that's a lot easier said than done um, when you've got emotions and spiritual history in a place and all the personalities at play. And so our story, I wrote the book. Um, breakthrough, trusting God with big change in your church, because we just wanted to give a witness that God moved in our church through our people to rejuvenate this congregation and convince us the gospel is still very relevant and needed in our community and that we were still somehow by God's grace chosen to be God's partners in sharing it. Um, now we're in a new location, four years now in this location. It is not a new building. It's a renovated medical office building. Um, We have got a nonprofit center in about a third of the building and uh, use the rest of it for church and lots of other community purposes. And we have seen the gospel move, not just locations but hearts and an openness for our congregation to the community and our community to our congregation um, just removing those barriers so I wrote the book to kind of say this not at all this is how you do it like <laughs> I'm not that wise but to say this is how we did it and maybe it will give you some inspiration and some hope um, for congregations that with a little courage and creativity may see a new day.
0: Hmm. So, what brought you, you and, your, and it, it is a co-pastoring team, team um, to, to Texas in the first place, uh, to and, and maybe just a little bit of of, of saying, "Well, Odessa,
1: how like. the heck did we get to middle <laughs> of West Texas in the oil field?" Um, well, we were in a co-pastorate already. That was our first experience to co-pastor having been in solo pastorates previously in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. When we had our kids, we decided to see, pray and see if the Lord would help us to serve together. And so we did that in Kansas City, Missouri for nine years. We were happy there. We were not looking. Our papers were not out, so to speak, in our denomination parlance. Um, we were not uh, looking to go anyplace place anytime soon, but a Disciples of Christ elder with a West Texas drawl was on the other line of the phone one day, and she said, we want you to consider coming to Odessa to be our co-pastors. They had had a senior minister retire and an associate minister that was leaving, uh, getting married and leaving to another city, so they had two positions open. And she said this, I'll never forget it, we know how to be a disciples church in a Baptist town, and we think you can help lead us. And that stuck with me. She was so mature in her understanding of what the particular part of the body of Christ that disciples and that really more progressive Christians in general have to offer the rest of the body of Christ and the community of the world around us, she, she understood that. And I, I didn't want to go. So, I, I mean, I wasn't like, my mind didn't change in that moment, but it was enough to make me curious, who are these people? So eventually they convinced us to come and make a visit. And when we laid our eyes on this part of the world, which, by the way, I grew up two hours from here in my elementary school years. So I kind of knew what West Texas was, but didn't know the oil patch. When we saw the place, we really sensed God's call. We felt needed. You know, I think it's Beekner that says, you know, your calling is where your gifts and the world's needs meet. And we were like, I think our gifts are needed here. In a way that was more compelling than the place where we were serving quite comfortably. So we eventually said yes, and it was a huge leap. In fact, when we decided, my husband and I were, when we were deciding to go, we took our hands and swung them as though we were leaping, you know, off a cliff or into a lake or something like that together. Um, Just trusting that if we were courageous, the congregation would meet us in our courage.
0: Well, it's kind of. Rare to see someone that is that aware of their con of ministry context. Um, I think some sometimes people aren't always as aware, or at least we tend to think that most people in the pews aren't aren't as aware on text that they're in. But they they seem to know who they were and and where they were where they were, which then says what does it look like to be a disciple church in a back- church in a back.
1: right and living yeah. into the answer to that uh, not trying to be every church on every corner not trying to be the mega church down the block or the you know conservative Church um, trying to promote right-wing politics um, or the Catholic Church which is a very real presence here and is just as kind of a steady undercurrent of of our community Um We have a unique identity to all of those. And really a good part of our work has been studying the history of the church and the ways the church was bold in the past and living that out, that identity out vibrantly and asking them to trust the Holy Spirit that God's not finished with them living into that identity And occasionally I get the opportunity to share with someone who's never heard that there's other parts of the body of Christ, that maybe if they're not Mm -hmm. able to stomach um, a particular church, don't be done. Come try us out. And that is such a lovely discovery for people so often. A lot of our new people since our move have been folks that said, I Mm -hmm. thought I was finished with church. I just didn't know that there was a church like this in the world. So this has been, uh, for our congregation, living into more community outreach, certainly living into more boldly our welcome, making clear our welcome to the LGBTQ plus community, as well as the diversity mm-hmm. of um, the political spectrum here, You know, folks that might feel like they're not... Um, really even invited um, into a congregation in in this ethos of the community. So it's been a lot of fun, honestly. And to be in a place of ministry where we've been, you know, my husband and I have both been in ministry 25, 30 years. We're no longer looking for that gold stamp of approval. Um, you know, we're just being who we are. And we found a congregation mm-hmm. that is pretty close to who we are. In terms of how we follow Jesus, and that's been a, a lovely and fun adventure.
0: So, when you when you arrived in Texas and, and kind of maybe got a, a kind of got, got 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 a look at the situation and what the church needed, what made you think that this church needs a ch- we need to, we need to change that that we can't go on the the way that we have. Um, and we have to make some radical changes and, and.
1: When we first saw the building, Mm -hmm. we knew as soon as Mm -hmm. we saw it, where Mm -hmm. it was, the shape it was in the, the lack of modern look and welcome Ah. and accessibility and all that. So we wrote a letter to the search committee when they offered, uh, to call us, um, We wrote a letter saying, please share this with the congregation. And it it told them, we think you need to relocate. And please do not call us, vote to call us unless you're willing to explore that with us. And so we were very clear because we were happy and comfortable where we were. We did not want to. And we had two Mm -hmm. children uh, in in elementary school. We did not want to move them for Mm -hmm. pipe dream. So we told them. So from the beginning, they knew. However, it took three years of research, prayer, process, small group meeting, board meetings, you know, all the things, Dennis, um, because we had to bring everybody on board to bring as many people as possible along and help people see the vision so that we could genuinely transplant the good DNA, the good roots of this church in a new place. This was not going to be a church split. This was going to be genuinely a church relaunching with a new location, new name, and new introduction to the community. And so we knew from the beginning in our gut, this is what it would take for this church to have a second Mm -hmm. century of Mm -hmm. ministry after the first one. Uh, but it did not appear you know so clear and so quick to, to all of them um, and a lot of the book is really about that process and the way that uh, church leaders, not us as clergy, but church leaders, were the pioneers helping others come on board to see the vision to love people who disagreed and all of that so that we could we could jump off together into a new future.
0: I think that that's something that, um, I've learned through my own process. Um, when, when I, when we went through, when we went through our own process of some last year, I, well, we have someone, we have someone that we, um, you also had an intro, had an interview with Lauren Rich Jr. Um, yes. on his podcast, I, I know him as well. We're, we're friends. And um I was on his was on his podcast to talk experience. And one of the things that I regret is that when I started at at First Christian Nation, I kind of maybe within a year that we needed to this was this location probably wasn't gonna work. It wasn't accessible, it didn't look fresh. Um but I, I think it was a failure of nerve that failure of nerve that I didn't people were ready for that. And so I did, didn't really move on that issue on that issue for quite some really really until it got to a point it's like, yeah, we have we have to do this. And but it was funny that by funny that by the I think everyone else was ready, was ready. Um and really, really it became the people who kind of moved that along. That it wasn't just well, it's just the pastor doing it, but that it was the people themselves saw the situation and said, this is what we need to do and, and we move in this way and and go forward so it, it's one of the things that I, it's one of the things that i felt like i learned. And so one i i wish i had said something sooner but a yes. sense of know, knowing when it's the right time or when the people know it's the right time too
1: yes that's right. And this congregation would say they began a process to do this back in the 1990s, and they just didn't have the the nerve. Uh, the time wasn't right, whatever it might be. And it is the people that have to lead. It's, at the end of every chapter in the book, I have a, a paragraph or two that one of our leaders wrote themselves about their experience with all of this, because it would not have been the healthy transplant that it is without these leaders doing the the work of spiritual maturity to let go of a building and a glorious past that was not going to lead them into the future. In fact, one of our leaders, um, our property chair uh, at the time, who knew better than anyone what this building was costing us in terms of sweat equity and dollars, how much how much was being poured into something that was not helping us. Um, he finally spoke up. We were at a stalemate in a board meeting, deciding whether or not to put the building on the market. And like you, I'm the minister, but that doesn't mean I can make anybody do anything. Um, and Especially in the disciples of Christ church, you know, it's all about it. it there's no authority given to you just because you're the pastor. You, you know, it's all about earned trust and, And so we're discerning how, how much to push and how much to pull and how much to just sit there and pray. And this property chair speaks up and he says, we are on this board to lead. And today we need to lead. Let's put this building on the market. It doesn't mean we're selling it, but we are at least moving in some direction. And that was it. Everybody said, you're right. You're right, Bill. And we owe so much to him. And there are several other leaders in the church that I lift up in the book that we owe so much to because they stuck their neck out in a way that others honored, whereas pastors can only do that to some degree, and then they're an enemy, you know, of it's an us and them kind of thing. So uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I like the metaphor of a midwife for a pastor. Um, we're not the one doing the birthing. We're coaching the new life to come forth. We're pretty critical to help um, churches birth that new life, but but it's the Holy Spirit that brings the new life and the church that does the pushing. Um, we are there to encourage and coach and give some wisdom. That's about it. So our our leaders just need to be, in the minds of other leaders, uh, I, you know what I what I dream is that a board chair reads this book and and reads what our board chair has to say, or a, an elder reads this book and reads what one of our elders has to say, and and they feel moved that yes, they're quote volunteers, but they really are the heart of who makes transformation possible or blocks it in the church.
0: Do you think that? one of the things i mean we're kind of talking about co- congregational revitalization it feels times we talk a, a lot about it you know about that from a maybe from middle middle judicatory people the you know the pastors of congregations but it seems like, it seems like at times we don't include the congregators themselves and the lay leaders themselves
1: 1000% agree with you
0: yeah and, and do you, do you think that that's, that is missing in in how we talk about revitalization and why do you think that is?
1: Well it's difficult you know to know especially from a judicatory position how do you get a hold of lay leaders in a church you know you don't want to go around the pastor you know so you go through the pastor and it's just it's complicated it's complicated mm-hmm. these are volunteers they have other jobs you know all of that um but again, that's why I included the testimony of some of our leaders because I really think leaders need to be talking to leaders. We've done a lot of years of pastors talking to pastors, and look where we are. <laughs> yes. And I really find that, you know, if we are not leaving tomorrow, but if we left tomorrow, this church has to have leaders that get it, mm-hmm. that know how to move us forward. And these folks, do they do and pastors can't stay forever no. we are we are human last i checked and so it really is these leaders that some of our leaders have been here 40 50 60 years and some of them are brand new and and i think they will stay 20 30 40 years if they are nurtured mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and it's it's getting it. It's complicated. It's very difficult, uh, but I sure have enjoyed talking to leaders across the country since this book has come out and seeing that all of our congregations have some really outstanding leaders doing their best, and it is heavy lifting for them. So connecting them to other leaders who can share mm-hmm. the load, help them laugh a little about it, you know, and pray together for each other. That
0: is just huge. So I kind of, I kind of about this and, and all the process now of deciding you're going to put, you're going to put the building up. What was that process going through the the sale of it? And then through the thing of you, you have to basically empty out, a building that you may have been in for, de- for decades, and when you do that, of course, it's not ju- just moving stuff out. You're moving you're you're moving the F- e- e- you know the, the history, um, the physical history of that congregation. What was that process like?
1: We had a miracle in that we sold a building and bought a building and voted to do it on the same day. And the prices were almost exactly the same. So when anybody had a question, is God in this? Well, that doesn't happen by human effort. If you've ever done anything with real estate, the Sunday after Easter, 2017, we voted to buy a new building and to sell our building for a price within $50,000 of each other. And it was amazing. So that was a lot of momentum and affirmation that God is with us and that God is still in the details and still cares about our congregation and and all the congregations trying to seek to share the gospel, right? So that gave us a lot of momentum. The, The difficulty was huge, just the amount of stuff. Think about how much one person accumulates in a house over a lifetime now, a church that had been in that location since 1940. Uh, it was, I mean, you know, why people don't do this stuff because it's really, really hard. That's why they don't do it. <laughs> uh, so the best thing that happened was, um, we, you know, of course, had a committee in a good Christian fashion, and uh, and that group of people, with the leadership of my co pastor and husband. Uh, who categorized and archived a a picture of every single precious thing we ever had in the building. They went through and decided intentionally what to bring with us. And one of the happiest days of my ministry here was watching our 1941 stained glass window, which was the main thing we brought with us, go up in our new sanctuary. And two ladies in their 80s ride the lift. To clean it after it had been installed, because they were going to be the ones that cleaned it, which is a great metaphor of these spiritual redwoods, you know, that are mature in their faith that do this work to bless us in a new location. And it's been like that since we began. We did some things like our traditional service. Uh, Was our eleven o'clock service, but it was not the kind of service that was going to draw new people nor make them feel comfortable. So we moved that to nine o'clock, and that service today has forty to fifty folks in it. And we started our contemporary service at eleven, and that service has grown. Last Sunday we had about a hundred folks there. All of that from forty-five on a Sunday, you know, four years ago. In between buildings, though, and this was crucial, we had 15 months living out of an elementary school cafeteria. Sunday mornings, we were just like a new church where we had everything in a trailer and we unloaded and then loaded it all back up when we were done. And that in between was really important, what we call our wilderness time, so that people could let go. And not immediately compare what they had and say, oh, we were better back in Egypt. Uh, at least we knew we were going to eat. Um, it was a wonderful in-between time for us to get remolded um, into what God wanted us to be in a new place. So by the time we were finished and ready to move in, everybody was just so grateful to not have to sit you know, on chairs that we hauled in ourselves <laughs> that morning. I'm just so grateful. Uh, and gratitude goes a long way. So that's a little about our, our process.
0: So, and, and, and this whole process, I think you've called it kind of a, kind of a restart. And it seems like having that in that interim period was helpful for that, for that to really take kind of a, a break between what you were and what you are now. Um, Obviously, there was, there was another thing that you did that was also um, a break. It's something, something that I think our congregation might at some point be contemplating, and that is a name. That is a name change um, because you were also a, a first Christian at one Christian at one point. Now, um, um, and what That's to right. that decision, and and what was the process of coming of coming up with a new name?
1: By the time we had made these decisions about moving, we'd already done that. Um, we'd already done our work on what outreach mission and what kind of, of marketing or evangelism we were going to do. And we'd done a lot of the work it led up to, are we going to change our name? And this was especially painful for folks that, you know, died in the wool Christian church, disciples of Christ, got to have the red chalice with the X on it uh, kind of thing. I would did not want to, like you said, failure of nerve. I was done making people make changes. I was just done. And I called uh, Rick Morse, who was a coach for us at different points along the way in this whole process. Uh, and he said... If you don't change the name, everything you've done up to this point will not be as impactful. And I was like, wow. Okay, so we changed the name and we have some great videos, by the way, just YouTube um, and Connection Christian Church Odessa. There's two good videos about our name change that I think are really helpful for people. We were a first, so it's pretty easy to say to folks, we're not a unique name. It's very confusing to be a first church. how are How is someone supposed to know how we're different from first Methodist or first Assembly of God or first Baptist or first whatever? Um, also, first is an inherently racist name. It is the first white church in our community. That's what that means. And, and you know, that, that didn't age well. You know, do we really want to continue to say that's who we are? And the most biblical thing uh, would be to be called last church, actually, since the first Will be left, and so um, we dove in and we did lots of studies. We did a sermon sermon series on name changes in the Bible, which is not hard to find. And um, when you know God's doing a new thing, God gives you a new name sometimes. We went through a process. We had a couple criteria, uh, like a name that is easy to remember, a name that starts a conversation, a name that expresses our heart, some criteria. And we talked in small groups and came up with lists. Again, when we got in a leadership meeting and saw all those lists, we're never going to get through this. We're never going to pick one. And then somebody noticed, hey, the same name is on all those lists. And it was Connection. It wasn't the top of all the lists, but it was on all the lists from all of our small groups process. And um, it was a historic name to the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. The Barton Stone movement was the Christian connection with an X, and it just was right. And how were we to know that two years later we would fall into a pandemic where everyone felt isolated and our church would be postured to offer connection? To us, it was an affirmation that God wasn't finished using us to bring the good news to this community. Wow, wow!
0: It is interesting, you know, connection because you talk about that, in, and I think that one of the streams from the United Church of Christ also uses the word that's kind of related to the Stone yes. Camel Movement uses the word conne- uses the word connection. So it's it comes from nowhere. It is it is. It is very related to our
1: movement, yes, and so much like what this process has been for us, staying rooted in history and identity and yet being made new with something fresh to offer um so connection an old word with um with new new, fresh outreach to our community. And we've been really grateful, have not regretted once changing the name.
0: And it sounds like people have been able to live into, into that name and, and really take that on as their their new identity.
1: We aren't anywhere near mm-hmm. done living into that. And we're four years in. And I feel like in a lot of ways are just beginning to discover the, uh, the gifts of this relaunch because The pandemic Mm -hmm. hit right afterwards, and there were certainly gifts that came out of that. But I feel like we're just now beginning to experience the fruit from from the labors of Mm. our congregation.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny when when you brought up the history about uh, naming of a of a church as first, um, because I brought that up with 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 a member congregation. Um, who's also a, a disciples pastor. And I said, you know, I think, you know, I think at some point we need to do the changing our name. And, and, and she, yeah, that's, that can be kind of not very helpful. It, it, it kind of has a break. And it's like, and as I thought about it, cause I've no church, churches, churches I know that were like, were like second something. I think we're African American, American, um, in the South. And it's like, like ooh, yeah. <laughs> It's probably, probably not a good thing. So you know, it is something that we're thinking about, and I think at least we haven't totally brought it yet. But I think it's it's also a feel, feeling of the, of does that fit who this community is anymore? And it feels like it isn't. Um, you know, oh, you know, this is not the church that it used to be. Um, that that might've been great, but not who this, who this church is now. So I think that that's something, you know, I think that is something to be always, to be always thinking about as a consciousness, does the name scheme still fit who you are?
1: Yes. And does it describe something that's internal? That does not communicate externally. It's got to do both. It's got to say who you are, and it's got to be something that people have never heard of. You can understand what you are trying to say. Um, it's it, it, it's a, it's an important step, and certainly, we've got such a precious gift to give the world. Why put any Why put any barriers to it? Why create problems to access for people um, with something as simple as a name?
0: Yeah. So, what are things that you have to kind of? Obviously, you know, we've done the, cha- the change of buildings, James. What are what are the things that you really had to think about to kind of enter into this new? Uh, even though I mean, if there is a con- a through line, but obviously, you're doing trying to do something different.
1: Yes. Well, in, in the book, one of my favorite stories is our last Sunday in the downtown location happened to be New Year's Eve on a Sunday. And so it was a beautiful um, poignancy to that. And during the offering, um, I we used these old-fashioned brass offering plates that we had saved out for the occasion. And, um, people started putting things in the offering plate, but it it was a strange sound. It wasn't the sound of you know coins or or um the normal sort of clink clink of of people's gifts or children's gifts it was um it was a heavier thud in the offering plate, and I could not figure out what people were doing. And when the offering came forward during the doxology and they put it on the communion table, I looked in and people had given up their keys,
0: oh their keys oh, to wow. the building
1: that they had, had all those years. Oh my
0: goodness. Oh my goodness.
1: And it was one final act of letting go. Wow. Wow. And to me, that's symbolic of whether a church needs to relocate or not, we all need a letting go of keys ceremony, probably Mm -hmm. once a year, (laughs) symbolically at least to say, I've been carrying this around and it's not for me anymore. Um, And I'm open now. My hands are open to something new. And so we've had to do that on so many levels Me with, you know, whatever I thought a minister was supposed to be about. And now I need to delegate that or let that go so that I can grow with this congregation. Church members that, you know, had beloved fellowship dinner things that the theme and the decorations had been in the church for decades, but no longer worked. You know, people weren't coming anymore or whatever. Um, Just that spirit of letting go um, combined with the Mm -hmm. spirit of experimentation has really just created a whole new playful, adventurous soul to our congregation. So you know, it's pandemic. Well, let's try meeting in the parking lot. Oh, our our story this our our theme this year is stories in scripture. So we're gonna let's try a story slam at the coffee shop and see if people like that. Um, you know, our outreach budget, we were supporting this, but we're really not seeing much fruit from that particular organization. Let's try this and give them money and go volunteer with them and see what happens instead of so much heaviness about it. You know, we've got to do um, these certain things because that's what's expected of us. And it's got to be successful in these particular ways and Mm. letting go and just seeing what happens when we go on some adventures, try some creativity. That spirit has really engaged our church um, and has made us able to be new again. And that's not just a relocation. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a change of mind and heart. I think
0: one of the, one of the things that has been happening, especially after, after, after kind of a year and a half where people weren't meeting in person, um, Churches in many cases are, are struggling. Um, they may have changes where they don't have the same people that they used to. Um, people either have left um, uh, or moved on. Um, they're just kind of a lot of, a lot of, of struggling in many ways. Um, what, what word would you those churches that are are feeling like they kind of lost their momentum? Um, especially after after kind of post-COVID and, and, and trying to figure out what we're going to do next um, and maybe fearing that they won't, they won't be able to do their ministry.
1: The gospel is effective. We don't make it effective. We don't have to work to make the gospel effective. We don't have to strategize to make the gospel effective. We simply can trust that the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ is effective. So we can take some of the burden off that we are trying to make something happen here and know that if we are sharing that love intentionally, energetically, in ways that fit with our gifts, it's going to be effective. What that probably means is stopping doing some things that are just a a burden that, you know, we're trying to make happen with our sheer willpower. And I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else. You know, we ministers think if we can just be charismatic enough and, you know, put enough energy in and pray hard enough, we can we can let go of some of that and allow God to do some new things, which means. Letting go of some things. Maybe children's ministry, you've been doing Sunday school for a while. Maybe you need to take two or three months off. Tell everybody we're doing a Sabbath from that until we can conceptualize what a new vibrant children's ministry offer would look like. That's just an example. Give yourself the grace to experiment. Nobody's ever been a Christian in this era, in this moment before. So we can draw on those who have gone before us, but the Spirit is doing a new thing, and we can breathe with that and allow ourselves some grace. It's going to be all right, and the gospel will be effective whether we are doing all the things we think we're supposed to do or not.
0: Hmm. I think so. I'm hearing a lot in in this conversation, really the role of all of the in all of this, um, um, which in in mainline circles we don't talk a lot, partially because I think we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, um, but it seems like I think one of the things that I'm learning, but I, but I think i been hearing from you is that. Being led by the spirit is really to be open really to be open to adventure where God is leading, and that that is can be ex- exciting. Uh, and you don't have to have it to have it all figured out. You don't have to not that you're just going to go headlong without any plan, but plan. But feel like you need to be in to be in control because well, you aren't in control. You never were.
1: Amen to that. And for me, the shift was mm-hmm. yes, we want people to come to church. But if we can be thinking about how to bring church to people rather than people to church, mm-hmm. if we can think about church to people, mm-hmm. the other will take care of itself. And so all of our energy and passion is around how are we sharing beyond these walls the gospel of Jesus and when we're doing that in ways that are fun for us, that bless other people, um, the butts and seats can take care of itself, and it does. And for us, really, the 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 word access, the change of access from our church being in a place that was out of the way, people didn't know where it was, it was hard to get in, to find the front door, to being a place that is in right in the middle of everything in town, that has community nonprofits here all the time. There's always a meeting, you know, going on a, an event, an experience by community groups. It's just
0: hmm. church
1: has gone hmm. to people instead of asking people to church. And it, it's opening hmm. windows if the doors are closed. What if I try this? What if we did this? And and it's fifty percent of the stuff we've done hasn't been effective in the sense of, oh, we kept doing it because it was so great. But it was effective in the sense of becoming creative with the Holy Spirit and saying, Dear God, we're open, lead us, not about us. It's about you and what you want to do in people's lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what do you think is, I mean, we have a lot of churches out there, there that are intuitions. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what advice do you have? And I'm not going to say what advice, what advice you have to give to the pastor, even though that's important, but what advice do you have to give, you have to give to a board chair or the, the head, the head of the elders or the, um, what are the the things that they need to hear? Because I think that we don't, As I think we talked about earlier, we don't talk to those as much and we need to.
1: That's one of my favorite questions anybody's ever asked me. Thank you. You get it. So first I would say, please pray for your pastor um, and let them know you pray for them. One of the best things our church people do is let us know that we're prayed for and appreciated. And it's so underdone. uh, You wouldn't believe. I know you would. But. Our listeners may not realize how little pastors hear that or experience appreciation in that way. Um, The second thing I would say is become knowledgeable about the moment of church life we're in. So, you know, read Carrie Newhoff or Dennis Sanders or, you know, whoever it is to know what time is it in the life of the church in Western the Western world or wherever you are, what's going on so that you are aware and aren't waiting for someone else to educate you. You're in a position of leadership, educate yourself and ask your pastor what to read um, and who, who to listen to so that you've got a sense and then become uh, uh, an expert in your own local setting too. So skip church on a Sunday, let everybody know I'm not here because I'm doing reconnaissance. And go out and see what's happening on a Sunday morning when people, when you're not at church. Where are people? What are they doing? What's the traffic pattern like? Who do you see at the grocery store? And then ask the Lord, what do you require of us to reach these folks?
0: Hmm. That is quite. And I tr- I truly mean that. If, if That's something we don't communicate communicate as well to our um, members. But I think that yeah, where is God? At? Where is God visible? Visible in this community? Kind of the question we we need to be asked. And
1: as we discover that, oh my goodness, I don't know how you could not just be in love with answering that and finding the Lord and meeting the Lord where he is and being connected with whatever God wants to do, which again, is not what we make effective. It's just, we get to partner.
0: Mm -hmm. When kind of wrapping things up, but I just, I wanted to ask though, though, it's kind of examples of, of connection making with the community around you, around you, kind of, Hinted at some of the the beats that you're involved in, but I'd love, but I'd love to know how are you kind of reaching out to to the the SA community.
1: For us, it began with you know we were giving money, but we weren't really giving of heart or time to organizations as a church. So it began with going to interview the places where we were. Uh, supporting financially, and then from those places going to other places. So it it began with a survey uh, of about 15 different branches of our community, including like our juvenile justice um, judge uh, and uh, our school district superintendent, our, you know, some of our main counseling centers, things like that, and asking them, where does it hurt and how can we help? and everything we've done since then has about try- been about trying to find the places where the church is already missing and going there. We're all for working with other churches and doing things other people are doing. And our particular mission is to be where other churches are not in caring for the souls of our neighbors. And that has led us to some very interesting places. <laughs>
0: I can imagine. Imagine, you said that. Um, yes, one is juvenile Um, What has that entailed for you all?
1: For us, it's meant simply a monthly visit to our juvenile detention center in support of the staff and in care for the inmates, and that has been really significant in shaping the spirituality of a number of our our folks to uh, in, in a community, a culture where they did bad, lock them and throw, lock them up, throw away the key, uh, talk about an experience of grace to realize that kid is 12. Um, you know, their family history is something that none of us would live through well. And so, um, now what, now, how do we experience and, and express grace? Um, our involvement in, you know, local um, HUD housing situations, doing um, food distribution and tutoring ministry, things like that. Just trying to be places where Jesus already is, but the church doesn't seem to show up.
0: So if people want, people want to get into you, what ways can they do that? And I know their obvious is, their obvious is the book.
1: Yes. Okay. So the book, The book is at Chalice Press, and I'd love for you to buy it from there because that's the most ethical way to buy it. It's also on all the other places. Um, dawn.weeks.org is my website, and um, our church is Connection Christian Church in Odessa, Texas. We're on Facebook and uh, Twitter and all the things. So I look forward to hearing from folks, and I thank you so much for your ministry, Dennis.
0: You're welcome, and I will definitely put all of those links in in the show notes. Thank so, because uh, I think that there will be a lot to a lot of people that want to know more about um, your story and um, and how you got from where you are to where you are now. So, thanks. So, thank you so much. Thank
1: t- you. It's a lot of fun, and I pray for your church as you discern these steps and as you think about relocating again. How brave that is. Yeah, I was just talking to a church that said they relocated 20 years ago and you know, so they that was off the table for them. Well, how's your building how's your building doing for you? You know, are you shaping yourself to your building or are you shaping your building to yourself?
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things you have to let go because I think sense of of pride of well, we've already moved. We don't need to move again. It's like it's like. Oh no, that churches actually. If you look back at the history, they've moved more than one, more than once, and they right. have They survive, survi- and they survive. Okay. <laughs> That's
1: right. Well, in fact, we have a lady in her eighties in our church that would remind us that our church. This is our church's fourth location.
0: Ha. Huh. Okay.
1: And she's yes, yeah, she's right on. It's true, and I don't think it's the last either.
0: It, no, it won't. And yeah. Just for our church, a last move either. So, you know.
1: Yeah. Let's hope not. Let's hope our churches stay on the move. I
0: Yes, I agree. Because <laughs> that kind of shows we're alive. Um,
1: it sure does. Yes. Well, blessings um, to you all the way up up north. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Hope that you enjoyed that um, interview. I really enjoyed it, um, and I do want to apologize if it sounded, at least on my end, a little weird. Um, the audio that, of course, I that was in question that was missing was my audio. Um, Dawn's came out through came out fine, but mine's was was the missing one that they were able to find. Um, but there were some issues. I did uh, try to clean it up the best I could. Um, so. Um, I do want to apologize for that. I do hope that we can have Dawn back. I'd like to talk to her more um, kind of about the journey and, and also what advice um, to give churches as they are, many of them are trying to figure out their future. Um, one of the things that I thought was I wanted to share um, is— no doubt, a few weeks ago, you may have listened to the episode with Ben Crosby. He's an Anglican theologian um, from the United States, but he is uh, studying right now at McGill um, University in uh, Montreal, um, in Quebec. And um, he wrote an, a fascinating article, um, and and which became the basis for the podcast episode. And one of the things that he uh, he brought up is that, you know, do we think that churches that this whole thing of, of Christianity matters, and he actually brings it up in kind of the in two questions um, and i think I think that that's a question that we have to as pastors, as members of congregations have to ask ourselves: does it matter? Does any of this matter um, as a church? Or is church just as I think Ben talked about just one more choice in, in, um, in context of many others? Um, because if it's just one more choice, as he says, then, you know, the decline of, of mainline churches, but the decline of churches in general isn't a big thing because people can then find some other thing to do. Um, but. If we think that this matters, if we think that this whole thing about um, Jesus matters, um, then church decline matters. Um, and I think let me—I I, want to kind of do justice to what Ben was saying. Um, he has these two things: it says one, do we think that a relationship with Jesus is necessary to achieve certain goods, whether it's traditionally salvation? And then if the relationship language concerns you, you know, you can change that. And then the second question is, do we think that the church is the normative means by which that necessary relationship with Jesus is established, nurtured, and maintained? And his whole thing is, is that if you answer no to either of those questions, then this doesn't matter. There are other choices out there. You can, you know— you know, it's kind of the proverbial, you can just read your New York Times. It doesn't really matter at all. But if you say yes to these questions, if they matter, then the church decline matters. And then we need to find ways of trying to help to rejuvenate churches, to plant new churches, because we think that that thing that we have, this faith that we, we consider dear, uh, near and dear to us, matters and that it can make a difference in people's lives and i think that that's why it's important to hear the story of people like um, don um, because if you can in hearing her tell the story especially i think she sees it especially probably in a way that is not too different from me um, from people who are lgbtq plus who may feel that the church isn't for them and um they find out that this salvation this this grace this jesus thing is for them it matters and so if we think that this matters then we need to find to be busy we need to find ways of rejuvenating churches that may have lost their ways we need to be serious about planting churches um we have to also be honest because if there are people who really think that neither, to, to, as I said earlier, answered uh, no to either of these questions, then, you know, it's no big deal. People need to be honest about that. So that's my sermonizing for this episode. As you can tell, I th- uh, this is important to me, um, and I want to have people um, liked on on to talk about this and to find ways to show that there is still hope for the church. Um, it may not be the church that uh, that will be, the, that it was like in its heyday, and, and probably in many ways, we were kind of glad it wouldn't be that way, but the church is still needed. And um, I'm glad that there are people like Don out there and Ben who are kind of sharing the importance of why it, that matters. Um, also, again, if you are able, please uh, subscribe. You can subscribe to um, our uh, Substack, where you not will not just find um, the podcast, but also articles that I have written. Um, and you can find that by going to main all one word, .substack.com. Um, you can also go to their our website and we're also available on all of the major podcast platforms. Um, wherever you listen to this, uh, make sure that you uh, leave a good rating um, that helps more people to find this. And if you're listening to this, share this with a friend, share this with someone who might want to hear um, a podcast like this. And um you can also go and you can also find us at our website, a standalone website, which is churchinmaine, all one word, .org. So that is it for this episode of uh, Church in Maine. This is, again, episode 136. I should add, if you have any interest to learn more about uh, Connection or to learn about Dawn, all of that is in the show notes. So uh, do look at that. So Again, this is it for this episode of Church in Maine. This is the podcast at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care. Godspeed. And I will see you very soon.